This is where we stopped last week. Why in the world was there so much demonic activity when Jesus was on the earth? Because our next lesson, if we can get finished with this outline, we're going to be talking about possession and oppression. And the question that is always asked about uh, demonic possession is, can a Christian be possessed? And we're going to talk about some of those things. Does demonic oppression and, op- and, and possession happen today? Well, the answer is definitely yes. But you see this massive flurry of demonic activity in the gospel accounts, and it seems to be a little bit abnormal, although I'm not so sure that it is. Just really, I, I, if you look at our culture and you don't see demonic activity, uh, you're, you're spiritually blind. Now, I think that the demons like we learn and they come up with better strategies. I mean, you don't think that they don't strategize? Of course they do. Uh, there's really nothing new under the sun, Solomon said, and he's right about that. But I do believe that uh, the demons have, have sometimes shifted in their approach. But when Jesus was on the earth, there's this flurry. And so you, when you go through the gospel accounts, you read about these experiences that are almost like the, the exorcist. If you remember way back when that movie first came out, uh, you know, it's just almost like that. In fact, I'll never forget when they first aired the exorcist on uh, primetime television. I was actually in college. We were going to college at an Arkansas Tech over in Russellville, Arkansas. And everybody in my dorm, I was in the guy's dorm, everybody knew that I was a Christian and a preacher and all that. And I was trying to, you know, witness the best I could. And um, I'll never forget, I had a bunch of guys come down to my room just as soon as the exorcist was over that night. And they wanted to know, is that just all Hollywood or is that real? I said, no, that's very real. Now, that was Hollywood, but what you saw there, and I opened up to a couple of passages in the gospel accounts, and I read almost the identical thing that the exorcist was depicting. And they said, oh, my gosh. And I think one or two of the guys came to know Christ over that, and so it's, it's a great thing, you know. But why was there such a flurry, and why were the demons showing their hand? And remember, I, I said last week, commented on it, I believe the reason is because they knew. They knew that Jesus was walking the earth. Obviously, he was their creator. They had been in heaven with him for who knows how many millions of years. I I, I don't know. How long have the angels been created before Lucifer leads his rebellion? Well, obviously, long enough that all of them knew their roles and they knew their positions. And he was able to influence one-third of the uh, angels to follow him. That probably took some time. So I, I'm assuming that they, they had been with the Lord in eternity past for who knows how long. They are created, so they're not eternal. But they'd been around the Lord for a long time. So they knew Jesus was coming to this earth. The other angels knew. Gabriel knew it. If you think Gabriel knew that Jesus was coming to the earth in the form of a human, the demons didn't know. Well, of course they knew. And so Jesus is here. And I would think that everywhere Jesus went, he was surrounded by demons. Maybe millions of demons. Maybe all of them. I don't know. The Bible doesn't necessarily talk uh, to that or speak to that, but I, but I think it's pretty obvious. So what's going on, I think, when Jesus was here is the demons are riled up. You remember every time that we have Jesus addressing a demon, actually talking to a demon, they always say, are you going to punish us before it's time? Because they know their fate, they're afraid, they know that he is superior and their master, even though they've betrayed him, they know that he is, is in spiritual authority over them. 
So they knew. So I think you, you got all kinds of things going on there. The demons are kind of in a frenzy. Uh, it could be that uh, this was one of their ways to try to resist him by throwing demonically possessed people into his pathway constantly, knowing that as he dealt with them, it would rile up the Pharisees. You remember? Don't, remember when they got all upset when he would forgive sin and they said, who gave you the authority to forgive sins? You remember? And that's one of the things they used against him in the kangaroo court trial that he has ultimately before he's crucified. So this is why you have this flurry of demonic activity. But then when you go on into the rest of the New Testament, into the epistles, as Paul writes, the devil is very, very active, incredibly active. And, and Paul all, almost talks about the devil hindering him and his team, uh, just almost as just nonchalant. Like, yeah, I mean, of course. So don't think that demonic activity was only during the time when Jesus walked. But this is why there was so much activity because they're resisting the Son of God on earth. They knew what his, his plan was. They knew he had come to die for the sins of the world and they wanted to, to knock him off if they could before he could accomplish his mission. So I think that's what's going on and I think that helps. Now, how did demons display their power and mission uh, not only in the New Testament era, but today? I mean, how how... Uh, how, how do they display uh, wh- who they are and, and their mission? So what I want us to do, and you have it on your outline, we're just going to talk about some of the ways in which demons work, not only in the New Testament period, but I would assume today, and maybe even more today. That That's something you need to remember, that the Bible talks about Satan knowing that when his time grows short, that he will even... Um, amplify what he's been doing in the demons as well. Well, if we're as close to the return of the Lord as we could be, then the demonic activity is not going to wind down. It's going to wind up. There will be more demonic activity before the Lord returns uh, than there has been, you know, two or three centuries before or a, mil- a millennium before. So anyway, uh, they begin, let's begin by noting that they, they slander God and men. It's constant slander. Now, if you don't think that's happening today, wow. Is there any popular media person outside of just a little handful of well-known conservative talk show hosts that are not constantly slandering not only Republicans and conservatives, but anything that conservatives or especially conservative Christians stand for? Well, that's demonic. I mean, you wonder what, what propels a guy like Bill Maher or uh, all of these others. It's demon power. They are powered by demonic activity in their own lives. And this is why they have such a hatred for anything that even approaches Christianity. So I think this is why they spoke out so violently against Donald Trump. Whether Donald Trump is a Christian or not, I don't know. But some of the things that Donald Trump supported are obviously Christian principles. And that just sets them off. And remember, if you look at what they are always against, it's not so much Donald Trump or conservatism. They're really against the gospel. I mean, when you boil it it down, it's the gospel that they're against. So if, for instance, a conservative uh, Republican, whether they're a Christian or not, stands against homosexual marriage 
or the Equality Act, where you force everyone to violate their religious convictions uh, in order to, quote, protect people's civil rights and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they, they will launch into those people because ultimately they know uh, either uh, uh, consciously or unconsciously that those principles actually emanate from the Word of God. I mean, what is the religious teaching that is most known around the world that condemns perverted lifestyles? Well, ultimately it's Christianity, right? And this is why, of course, so many evangelical preachers have just grown silent on the subject. They just won't speak out on these things because they don't want to incur the wrath of the liberal media like, like Pastor uh, Spell that I'm going to be going to uh, his church there in, in Baton Rouge. They don't want what accompanies a strong stand. They just don't want it. We're, we're kind of protected here in Oklahoma still because we tend to have pretty conservative people in government, even though the Republicans, many of them, are fakes, they're rhinos, and they're not doing what... uh, For instance, uh, just this week, just this week, Senator Shane Jett, who is a friend, uh, was going to present a bill in his committee. It's not his committee, but but, uh, uh, Adam Pugh, Senator Adam Pugh's committee, that would forbid... Uh, critical race theory from being taught in Oklahoma public schools. Now, you remember, critical race theory basically said this, uh, says this in a nutshell. If you're white, then, then you have white privilege, you're a white supremacist and a racist, and you are an oppressor, and you need to apologize and do whatever you've got to do to make amends just because you're white. If you're any part of the community of color and a minority, then you're automatically... Uh, a victim, and you're oppressed. And that's critical race theory, in a nutshell. That's being taught in public schools right now in Oklahoma. So Shane Jett had authored a bill that would forbid that from being taught in our public schools. Senator Adam Pugh refused to hear it in his committee and killed that bill. Now, see, you won't hear about that. The Republican Party will do nothing about it. Adam Pugh, who is a Republican, a card-carrying Republican, will not face any retribution from the Republican Party for that. In fact, probably behind closed doors, he'll be applauded for it and may have even been doing the bidding of Senate leadership, for all I know, because I've been there and I know how this works. Now, I don't know. He may have just done it on his own accord, but typically it doesn't work like that. And so he killed a bill that almost every Oklahoman would vote for if they had the chance. Probably 80% of Oklahomans would have voted for Shane Jett's bill But it was killed because the chairman won't hear it. And that's one of the tricks that go on all the time down in the legislature. And you don't hear about it because the news won't talk about it. So most people don't even know. I I shared that in Seminole yesterday. And I I told the Republicans there at their county convention, I said, you guys wouldn't even have heard of that. And you probably haven't. And none of them even knew. See, they would have never known had somebody like me not told them. That's the kind of trickery that's going on. But still in Oklahoma, even with all of that nonsense, we have a governor that's pretty much held the line on the mass mandates and all of that. So we're kind of sheltered here in Oklahoma. But I'll tell you, you get out of Oklahoma and a few other deeply red states, and it's a mess. Visit with Paul about some of the things he experienced in these last couple of weeks as he had to travel 
and go into different states and cities. It, 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 we're, we're, we're spoiled here in Oklahoma, but if we don't stand tough, it's going to get just like that everywhere else. This is why they slander all the... Well, this is exactly what the Bible says that the devil's always done. If you go back to Genesis 3, I'm not going to read this to you, but the first five verses of, of Genesis 3, that's exactly what Satan is doing through the serpent. He is slandering God by saying, well, first of all, did God really say that to get Eve to doubt? But then he says, well, God's holding out on you because he knows that the day you eat of this uh, fruit, you'll be like him. So God's holding out on you. Because you'll know the difference between good and evil like God does. No, you won't know it like God does. See, God knows it because He's omniscient. Adam and Eve learned the difference between good and evil by experiencing it and becoming evil. So there's a big difference. But see, Satan was slandering God. God's holding out on you. Trying to get Adam and Eve to doubt uh, God's... uh, 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 mercy and grace. And then you go to the, the book of Job, especially chapters 1 and 2, where you have the introduction to why Job goes through all of the terrible things that he goes through. And when you read the narrative, and this is obviously not all of it, but you find that the devil appears in heaven before God. And so a lot of people that see the devil as in hell, well, the devil's not even in hell. The devil spends most of his time in heaven, even now. Now, there will come a time when he is banned from heaven, and that's during the Great Tribulation. But right now, the devil, and I would assume maybe other high-ranking demons, have access to heaven. And we get, a, we get a little picture of what they do when they're in heaven in the first two chapters of the book of Job. Just like in Luke 16, we get a little glimpse of what happens after people die. You remember when Jesus talks about the rich man that goes to hell and Lazarus goes to what we would call heaven or paradise. So here you have this little glimpse and the devil is slandering God by slandering God's man. That's exactly what he always does. And this happens over and over and over. Now I said during the great tribulation, the devil will be banned from heaven. And notice here in Revelation 12, verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation, strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Now, if you go back to that chapter and read the verses ahead of that, you'll find that the devil has been banned from heaven when this verse is written. Well, what, what is he? He's the accuser of our brethren. Now, what does he do? He accuses them before our God day and night. He will not stop doing that until he's locked out of heaven during the great tribulation. And then the scripture goes on to say, so the devil is incredibly angry and filled with wrath because once this happens, he knows his time is very short. But he is there in heaven accusing us, looking for permission to, as Jesus told Peter, you remember? Jesus said, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And it's kind of interesting what Jesus said. He didn't say, and I told him he couldn't. That's not what Jesus said. He said, Peter, and I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. He didn't say, I told him he couldn't. I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. So many times the devil gains from his accusations before God permission to sift us like wheat. 
This is why the Bible then has so much to say about trials and how God uses trials in our lives to make us better, not bitter. All of this is bound up in this, the way that the devil works against us through his henchmen and his permission that he gains from God to sift us like wheat. So I think this is very important that we understand this is one of the ways in which they work to slander, to slander God and his people. There's a second way that they work, and that is they blind men to the truth. They just simply blind people. When you look at our culture today, uh, I'm very critical of our culture, as you know, but we also need to keep in mind that a lot of these people are just spiritually blind. They are blind. That doesn't let them off the hook. They're blind because they wouldn't turn to the truth. So they're still culpable, but they're blind. I mean, there's, there are times when I, I turn to Pam and I say, how could anybody be that stupid? She said, I don't know, I married one. But anyway, <laughs> she'll say, you're right. How could anybody do something? I mean, look, for instance, at President Biden, and it's difficult to say, but President Biden's policy at the border right now. He has created a massive catastrophe at the Texas-Mexico border right now. Now, who in their right mind thinks that's a good thing? Well, nobody in their right mind. So listen to what Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It talks about Satan who is the god of this world. Now, don't think that that means that he owns the world, because he doesn't. And God doesn't have to have permission, like Kenneth Copeland says, to enter the earth realm. This is God's, but right now, the world system, the devil's the one pulling the strings. Now, God, anytime, can pull rank and do whatever he wants. And remember, the devil can only do what God allows him to do. But he is the God of this age, Paul says. So he says that the gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. They are, they are blind. And then 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 Two and three, John warns us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Now, most of us wouldn't even talk like that because we're afraid that people would say, oh, they've gone off the deep end. They're, they're talking about spirits and they must be, you know, into all kinds of spiritism. No, there are demon spirits that come at us and that tell us things, sometimes through other people, and we just think it's people who are confused or people who are evil or whatever. Well, that, that's all true. But John says it's spirits. Now, what kind of spirits do you think you couldn't believe? Would it be the holy angels, the faithful angels you couldn't believe? No, of course. What spirits are you talking about here? Demons. He's saying test the spirits, not every spirit is from God. And then he goes on to elaborate. And then he, and he talks about all these false prophets. Well, these false prophets are not just speaking of their own accord. Now, they're, again, culpable, but they're demonically controlled. So, testing spirits. Now, see, we don't typically think like this, and we don't live like this because we think that's too much hocus-pocus, and we're just getting too out there. Was John out there? When he said, test the spirits, if we, if, if we, and I'm including myself in this, if we could ever live in such a way that we truly do understand that every minute of this life we're, we're walking around on a battlefield, and it's a battlefield over the souls of men and women, and that we're battling principalities and powers, and there's spirits all around us, both faithful angels, 
but fallen angels, and we're caught up in this massive war. Now, the outcome is already determined. We know how the thing ends, but we are in this war. And if we could ever understand that, if I could understand that, it would change the way I approach things. It would change the way I respond to situations in my life. And this is why John said, don't believe every spirit. There are a lot of evil spirits in this world, he says, and you need to be aware of that. So, They blind men and they confuse us and they try to make us think that they are the workers of of the Lord. Remember in 2 Corinthians 12, we've already seen this passage before, but Paul says that the devil and his ministers transform themselves into angels of light. Therefore, you must test the spirits. Have you ever been around someone who would say, there's just something not right about that person? Or maybe you've said that. Now, some people are able to do that because I believe they have a spiritual gift of discernment. Now, discernment comes in many levels. Part of it is just by learning God's principles, and therefore we're more discerning. But some people have a special spiritual enablement of discernment, and they can sense. I've I've had it operate in me before, where I just for some reason knew that there was something wrong with that person, and I didn't even know that person. And I wasn't being judgmental. I, didn't, I wasn't trying to, to be better than them or just to be condemning. That just something wasn't right. Well, I think that's the Holy Spirit in me or you testing the spirits and warning us this is not right. And it could be a preacher in the pulpit. More likely it's a deacon in a deacon's meeting. But anyway, um, but I mean, Really? Really, that's what John is saying about testing the Spirit. See, this thing's real. This is not... And, and by the way, it means exactly what it says. Don't try to over-spiritualize a passage like 1 John 3. He says, look, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits. Many of them are not from God. It, just, it means exactly what it says. Okay, the third thing that kind of surprises a lot of people is that demons work miracles. They work miracles. Now, I do believe that their miracle working power is very limited because if it were not, my gosh, they'd just be doing all kinds of hocus pocus everywhere. But at the same time, they definitely can work miracles. Now, when you go back to the book of Job and you read about what happened, notice that there are things happening that are demonically generated, like that great wind that comes along and destroys Job's children. Well, you think God did that? Do you think God actually created that storm and killed Job's children? No. In fact, God had said, you can get at him. And the devil then went and did it. And one of the things that he did is he created a storm. Fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep. Where do you think that fire is coming from? Now, ultimately, yes, in God's sovereignty, he's allowing this. But it's not God causing that. It's the devil well, this is miraculous. So, so when you read through these things, you need to kind of, I, I, I hesitate to say read between the lines, because if we're not careful, we start reading the white part of the Bible and we come up with all kinds of nonsense. But we need to read carefully because these catastrophes that happen to Job are demonically generated by the permission of God, but gen- demonically uh, generated. Uh, the Bible tells us that uh, during the Great Tribulation, when the, uh, when the Antichrist comes, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Antichrist himself is going to be a great miracle worker. 
The coming of the lawless one, that's the beast, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. He's a miracle worker. See, I think this is one of the reasons why so many of these false prophets that you see on Christian television are all wrapped up in miracles because they're using these miracles to sucker people in. And I'm not so sure that some of the miracles aren't real, but they're demonic. Now, a lot of that stuff's just nonsense and, you know, Benny Hinn blowing on people and all that and they're falling down. I, I watched him one time in a video knock over a whole roll of nuns. It looked like bowling pins. Go, but, but anyway, it, it's, uh, I mean, it's, just, it's nonsense. But if you see a miracle, that does not mean it's of God. But see, most Christians are sitting ducks for this. We see a miracle and we automatically assume it had to be God because it's a miracle. And we start embracing whatever or whoever that is. And we start praising God. What if we're praising God for a demonic miracle? The Antichrist is going to be able to work miracles. And he does it with the power of Satan. When you get to Revelation 13, still talking about the beast. Notice it says, he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven. Oh, by the way, isn't that what he did to Job's children? Same thing. Same miracle. On the earth, the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted. Notice, granted, meaning God has permitted it. God is still sovereign to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth. And this is the false prophet here. Working all of these miracles by what? Satanic power, by demonic power. And so you have these miracles. Now, I want to jump to number four because we're going to come back to something you're familiar with, but it kind of segues into point four on your outline, and that is as these demons work miracles, their miracle power is limited because if God just let them run loose, they'd be calling fire down from heaven on all of us. Not a one of us probably could survive. This is one of the reasons why I believe that whole class of demons that are locked up in that place called Tartarus that we talked about a few weeks ago, they are so bad that if they were allowed they, to run loose, they, they probably would kill us all. So they're locked up in a place called Tartarus, which means in the Greek language a prison for spirits or demons and will only be released during the Great Tribulation, the last half of it. And then when you read about the havoc that they wreak, well, it makes sense. Makes sense why God's had them locked up. But they are limited in their miracle powers. And there's something that we need to remember. We need to remind ourselves as we're talking about things like this because it starts getting a little spooky. Remember that Satan and the demons are not omnipresent. Neither are they omnipotent. Neither are they omniscient. So don't, don't attach to the devil or his demons characteristics of God. See, God is the one who is omniscient omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, and then omnipresent everywhere at once. Satan can only be in one place at one time. Remember, he was a faithful angel at one time. He's a fallen angel now. He's not a fallen God. He's not omni, uh, 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 omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He can read the Bible. He's been in the councils of God, so he knows what God's plan is, but he doesn't know everything. A lot of people talk about how the devil can read your mind. I, I don't find that anywhere in Scripture. 
Now, God knows your thoughts. The Bible tells us over and over that when Jesus walked the earth, He knew the men's thoughts that were coming to Him. Well, the Bible never says that about Satan. So Satan and the demons are not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at once, and they can't work all miracles. But when you go to the book of Exodus, and you read about the first few miracles that God works through Moses and Aaron, remember that the magicians in Egypt could replicate them. Now, they can only re- replicate a few of them. And some people have said, well, it was just sleight of hand. And there's a big debate among theologians as to whether or not the Egyptian magicians were actually truly working these miracles or they were just pulling off a ruse. I tend to believe they were actually doing it. Because the scriptures seem to quite clearly say that some of the miracles, we call them plagues, they were judgment miracles, they could actually replicate. But then it comes to a point where they couldn't. Now, maybe they were just doing sleight of hand, but it certainly doesn't seem that way in Scripture. The point is, they could only go so far. Notice at verse 18, Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So when you you finally get to a spot, they could only go so far. Meaning God has put limits. Remember, even the false prophet who is almost as one with the beast, what we often, who we often call the Antichrist, but there are many Antichrists, so beast is a better title for him, can only do what God has granted him to do. But they can work miracles, and don't sell them short. Uh, let me tell you this story, because uh, we're running out of time. Pam and I, back when we had first gotten married, we, um, we'd go around and preach, and we'd sing at different churches, and we had a band, and I've told you some about that. And... Uh, There was this little church in Van Buren that we'd go to every now and then. And this young lady named Christine uh, came up to me. And and I knew there was a problem with her. I just couldn't tell what it was. And she came up to me and she said, My God is much much more powerful than your God. I said, Oh, really? And she said, Oh, yeah. She said, "I I can cast spells on people. If I want somebody's job, I can get it. Which I'm not sure I believed all that because if I were her then, I'd, I'd have had, you know, J. Paul Getty's job or something. I, you know, I, I, but anyway, I think, though, she did have limited ability. Well, it turns out she was a practicing witch. And so I was, uh, I was talking with her and finally got her to pray through and married her. Her name's Pam. No, no, wait, wait, wait. That's not. Man. Christine. She was actually a witch. And we prayed with her, and you know it was just very difficult working with her because obviously she had a lot of demons going in and out of her life. But I'll never forget one night, very late, months later, she called us late into the night, and she was distraught. She said, you're the only person I could call. And uh, she thought she had o- overdosed on, thank you, Lucy, she, she thought that she had overdosed on drugs and she was dying. And her... We call them warlocks, but men are witches too. It doesn't matter. Her, her witch boyfriend had abandoned her, and she thought she was dying. And uh, we went and picked her up, and she spent the night with us. Now, I know we were taking a great risk there, but we prayed over her. We, of course, prayed over our house and the whole deal. Well, it turns out, eventually, she and her witch boyfriend were both saved. And ended up somehow in the ministry. I don't know where they are today or anything about it. But my point is, I've encountered people who are in demonism who can actually work some miracles. Now, I know that's kind of scary when we think about that. But um, 
it's true nonetheless. Uh, I, I just want to, I know we've got to go, so we're way out of time, but God sometimes uses demons to accomplish His purpose. I, I think I'll stop right there, and we'll just have to put a, a, a two-week pause, because as I said, I will be gone next Sunday, and so our uh, dear brother Ike is going to step in and do a great job teaching the class, and I wouldn't want to throw this lesson on him, so he's going to teach whatever he feels like God has led him to teach. So I'll pick up right here two weeks from today. But just because I'm gone next week, don't skip. Because Ike will do a great job. You need to be here. You need to be here not only to support him, but to be blessed by what he will teach, okay? All right, so let's stop right there and hang on to that outline. That's going to be a two-week stint, so you got to really hang on to that. And uh, we'll, we'll pick up there uh, next time, all right? You're dismissed. Let's take a break, and then we'll have our service.